of Scripture. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is born in our lives. And how, if we're to come together as a church and be a healthy church, the individual responsibility that each one of us has is to give ourselves to grace. Did I turn those on, brother? I'm trying to figure it out. That's all right. That's all right. So uh, I, I just recalled, and I was like, oh, I tapped this. It wasn't working. I probably forgot to turn those on. No, that's okay. That's all right. Because it wasn't working? Yeah, well, that's, well, we got it. Praise God for that. So, our graces is where we started. And we have the responsibility to individually be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be primarily looking towards the gospel, believing the gospel, in repentance and faith. So that the Spirit might grow us in everything that the Spirit gives to us. That's everybody's responsibility individually as a church. And part of the reason that's so important, as Joey talked about, is that the graces given, especially the fruit of the Spirit, all of those things tend to healthy gospel community. Right? It reverses the division that was caused in the fall. The breaking of fellowship, as seen in Canaan and Cain and his brother Abel, specifically, it reverses that and brings us closer together. But we also have the responsibility to try to apprehend what gifts we might have and to serve the congregation with those gifts. Okay? Now, we don't want you to give your time to always think about what's my gift, what's my gift, what's my gift. Rather, whatever you desire to do okay, and what other people tell you you're good at, Invest your time in serving in one another in that capacity. So we must grow in our graces and our gifts. And now we come to the one another's. And uh, I fear that this won't be as helpful as it could be, but by God's grace we'll go forward because I could not, for the life of me, come up with an outline that, that pleased me this week. Okay? Because when we look at the one another's of Scripture, almost invariably, it's translated from one Greek word called alelon, which can be somewhat humorous and maybe a good way for you to remember this Greek word, not that you have to do that, because it sounds like all alone in, in the English, but it actually means one another in the Greek, all alone. And so... I went through and I searched this word out, and today we're kind of going through a, a word study of this Greek word, one another, and the, what I've done is I've divided it into how it's used in the text, both negatively and positively, and we're going to look at those different things. So first, I want us to turn to Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to be flipping you basically through the New Testament epistles one time in the negative sense, and then going through it again in the positive sense. So hopefully this is beneficial. Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, we read, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if in, in service and our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. 
Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. With the lowly. And then I would have you turn to 1 Thessalonians. Just as introductory passages to frame it in our minds what we're talking about and the importance of what we're talking about. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4 and verse 9. Listen to these wonderful words, because what we're going to be doing is reading a lot of law, and what I mean by that, a lot of commands that God has given to us. But we must first frame our minds how we, how we obey the commands of the law is always through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rome, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught to, by God to love one another. Now, when we consider that, how are we taught by God to love one another? By Christ's example. By the Gospel given to us, right? We're not taught by God to love one another by some... It is spiritual, and the Holy Spirit changes us to believe it, but it's not as if we are given dictation of exactly how to love one another in every particular circumstance. Rather, God has taught every Christian what it means to love one another by giving us the premier example of love on the cross of Jesus Christ. We've been taught to love one another because God has sent His own Son into the world. He's died for us and lived for us that we might live for Him. Okay? And so with that... I want us to go, and if we don't get through all of this, we'll pick it up next week. Okay? Because I have like 1,100 words of Scripture copied down. Okay? We're going to start in Romans. And we're going to start first with the negative examples of the one another's in Scripture. So, as we consider negatively how we don't love one another and how we don't live with one another first... The first category we have of this Greek word, all alone, is negative examples. And those negative examples can be characterized as hatred towards one another, as a heart attitude, and sinning against one another. Romans chapter 1 and verse 27 is the first example that we have of this word used in this way. Of starting verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion, notice, for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Negatively, all alone, all alone, this Greek word is used as sin, sinning towards one another, trying to gratify our own twisted and bent lusts in one another, sinning against one another and dragging each other into sin. The second is Titus 3.3 3 that says, and don't be ashamed to stop turning with me because I do have a lot to go through, but if you'd like to, please do. Titus 3.3 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, Led astray, 
slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others. It's not one another translated here, but it's the same Greek word. Hated by others and hating one another. Hating one another. That was our previous life. A negative example in Scripture of this one another. The third and the last negative example in Scripture is 1 John 3. 11. And I think that this will be very familiar to you. 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. And then it's followed by the negative example, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Jealousy, hatred in the heart, Negative example of the all-alone commands. And then we have the actual negative commands given to Christians in Scripture. And again, I'll have you start at Romans. Again, you'll forgive me for my perhaps bad outline today, I hope. But I want us to see, one of the reasons I want us to go through all of these texts is so that we'll see that the one another passages are really substantial part of Scripture and that the Holy Spirit spends a lot of time telling the church how to deal with one another. Okay, The Bible has a lot to say about this. There's actually a hundred or so of these uses of this word in the New Testament. Romans 14.13 says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. And as I read through this, try to try to think about what these themes are. Galatians 5.13 says, you are called the freedom brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his practices. Three more. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Lastly, in James chapter 4, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So if we're to consider all of these negative commands, how we should not treat one another in the Scripture, what are some themes that we can gather up from those texts that we just read? Yeah, yes. How can we sum up the negative commands? Do not do this to one another. Well, they, they seem to be Christless. Yes. Either before you were saved in Christ or examples of acting in ways that Christ would judge. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you're right, brother, especially in the the examples that were given. It's always pointing either to an unbelieving crowd or to us before we were believing that we treat one another wrongly. But as we enter into the commands, Paul is talking to those whom he presumes to be Christians, born-again Christians. 
And so as we consider those, we are to be continually putting to death those things. So while we've come out of being those who are under wrath and condemnation, controlled by sin and the devil, we still have remaining corruption in our hearts. We still are tending towards sin and prone to wander, right? Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. And so the Scripture is given to correct us in that. So one of the themes that you'll see over and over of what we just read is not to judge one another any longer. Now, it certainly doesn't mean that we are not to try to ascertain whether certain actions are right or wrong, right? What else could judge mean or does judge mean? It's not to condemn one another, right? It's not that you see your brother in sin and you say, you are not a Christian. I'm over you. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to consider myself a better Christian than you are even because you're behaving in this way. We refuse to judge one another any longer. That's exactly right. And we see that primarily in Romans 14, 13 and Galatians 5, 13 that we say we are called to freedom. We are called to live our lives under the law of Christ, okay? And not under the scruples of mankind, not according to man's imagination and invention of what laws we should obey, but we are to do so in such a way that is characterized by Christian love and patience with one another, okay? What's another theme that we might see in this? Brother? As far as judging, I mean, I've been thinking yeah. about eventually there is a judgment that the church made. Yes. Oh, yes, yeah, certainly. Yes, yeah, certainly. Yes. We, when, and when it uses one another, it's not assuming a universal scope to that. It's referring to those who are within the church, right? And I think that these commands, we're not to judge one another until the church collectively has judged this. This brother or sister is not behaving in a way that is consistent with the gospel of Christ, and we don't consider them in that way any longer, right? Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, another thing that we see here is that we're not to have a spirit of revenge towards one another. Because every one of us is going to sin probably against every other single person in this church at some point. And you might not perceive that because we're so swimming in sin all the days of our lives that sometimes we don't even know we're in it, but we're going to sin against one another, right? And some of these commands, specifically Galatians 5, 26, let us not be conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Again, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And not speaking evil against one another. These things are combined that we should have a heart attitude of our brothers and sisters that they are Christians in the gospel of Jesus Christ, trusting that while the church makes a a gracious welcoming of them into the gospel, that we ought to treat them like brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought not to judge one another. We ought to provoke one another, have revenge against one another in these ways. And as Brother Caleb put it, yeah, Again, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So the passage you read about yeah. the one who speaks against the brother speaks against the law. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out in my mind what that means, but is part of it the idea of if the law is no longer able to condemn you in Christ, if 
I think that that's the primary thing. And that's a difficult passage. And I'm not pretending to, to know exactly what James is trying to say there. Uh, I think Joey actually gave a good summary of it at one point, if you recall. Sorry to put you... That's okay. That's all right. But I think that that's the point here, right? God has welcomed us, and we're going to see this in another of the positive passages. Therefore, we ought to welcome one another, right? If God has chosen to pass over our sins in Jesus Christ, what kind of hypocrisy is it for us to lord it over and say, oh, we're we're better than our brother and sister because we don't have that particular thing that we're struggling with? I think that that's, that's the idea here. I think you're right. And the primary thing here in the negative commands is we're not living according to the gospel. If we're doing these things, we're seeking revenge, we're not seeing that God has freely forgiven us in Jesus Christ. Never again will He avenge us. All of our sins were sought out in the body of Jesus Christ and punished. And we ought to live in the same way toward one another. Um, Not seeking to have revenge of one another. And not seeking to pass judgment on one another. This is where where all of the, the division in the church body comes from. is from our passions working in us. Sinful passions. So do we have any questions about those negative commands and examples? Pretty straightforward, right? We're not to sin against one another. We're to have a heart attitude that is consistent with the gospel. Positive examples, okay? So now we're moving into the positive commands, which is the larger section of this word, all alone. Positively, we see this word as an example. I have one. I'm sure there's probably more. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. I think this is a beautiful text. Second Thessalonians 1, 3. Not that my judgment of whether the text is beautiful or not has anything to do with it. We see Paul writes to this church. He says, not only does he always give thanks, but notice, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, because, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Right? And I know that I've hit, beat this horse to death a couple different times, but I think it's very interesting in Paul, if we were to think of, you know, if we're looking to another Christian's life and say, why should I give thanks to God for that brother or sister? We'd say, well, their faith is increasing. That's, that's what we would say. But notice that Paul has a twofold version. It's not just interiorly or in my internal spiritual life that I'm doing my Bible reading and growing in faith and knowledge, but I'm growing in my love for my brothers and sisters, right? This is the positive example that we have. And I think that this is the umbrella that we have for the positive commands that we're growing to love one another. Love is the central theme. If you're in Thessalonians, you can flip to the left of 1 Thessalonians. And if you're not, you can listen. In chapter 3 and verse 12, notice, I'll read in verse 11 for context. Now may our, our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Right? So the apostolic example, we abound in love for you. We pray that you would follow that same example and abound in love for one another. Yes? Yes? So anytime I say that, I'm always referring to a believer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
As far as we know, from our earthly perspective, it's referring to a brother. Yes. 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 I, I have no of no other scripture passage unless it's speaking of a physical brother and sister. It's not speaking of spiritual relation in some way. Or with Ahab and calling uh, the king of Syria his brother. Yeah. Nah, anyway. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And we see that in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Like, who is my neighbor? Right. Yeah. So, and one we've already read, seeing that love is the central theme, is not just in 1 Thessalonians uh, 3.12, but in 1 Thessalonians 4.9, it says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need anyone to write to you. This is what we've already read. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Um. So love being the central theme, and along with Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, to love one another with brotherly affection. Okay, We should see that everything is characterized by love. The foundation of everything we do is love in the Christian life. Secondly, in the positive examples, I've tried to divide these up into helpful categories. Not only do we have examples, not only is love the foundation, but we have living together in closeness is commanded. What scripture texts with one another in them would indicate that we are to live closely together? And what I mean is in close proximity, in the same room probably, a lot of the time, together. Sure. Yep. Yeah, they came together. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the apostles' uh, doctrine and prayer. I think that the, the passages that most intimately show closeness are the holy kiss passages in Scripture. Okay, And we should notice, and we make jokes about it often, about giving one another a holy kiss and all these things, but these are serious commands from the Apostle Paul. Okay, That at least, at bare minimum, they, they show us that we ought to be intimately related to one another. It is appropriate for brothers and sisters in Christ to give handshakes, Hugs, appropriate to every cultural context, of course, and those kind of things, but we should be close together. There are four passages in Scripture that command a holy kiss. Three of them from Paul and one of them from Peter. I'll go through these. Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. 1 Corinthians 16, 20, all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Kiss. Second Corinthians thirteen twelve. Greet one another with a holy kiss. First Thessalonians five twenty six. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. All all alone is not in there, okay? But it's the same concept. And then the fifth, greet one another with the kiss of love. In First Peter five fourteen. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So we are commanded to live together in closeness and intimacy, and that closeness and int- intimacy. Secondly is to be characterized by harmony and peace. These are these, another category of these, this word, all alone. Romans 12, 16 says, and you can turn to Romans. I'd like you to see the Romans passages especially because they're so closely grouped in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Now, why would the Apostle Paul have to tell us to live in harmony with one another? 
because we don't naturally live in harmony with one another. God's commands are always given to an antithetical human spirit in us. Okay, We are called to live in harmony with one another. If we consider the church, we are made up of different demographics, of, of races, of cultures, nationalities, um, income level, right? All these different things. We're called to live in harmony with one another. And he continues, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. These things go together very well, don't they? To live in harmony with one another is the opposite of trying to live as if you're wise in your own sight. That everything you think is right and good is always true and nobody can ever correct you on anything. It's the opposite of Christian harmony. Chapter 14 of Romans In verse 19, in this category of harmony and peace that we're living in, says, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Okay? So the command that we have here is that we are to pursue after everything that makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Romans 15, verse 5. This is a prayer, really, but it has the force of a command, I think, if you consider it. It says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Verse 7 of that same chapter. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. How has Christ welcomed us? By dying for us? Without cost? Freely, right? Without having to change, right? I mean, he demands repentance of us. I'm not saying he doesn't demand repentance, but there's something true to come as you are, right? We don't have to clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus Christ. And same thing's being said here. Your brothers and sisters, as you look with one another, we're not to wait till, well, I'm going to wait till they get a little more sanctified in their life, they're, till they're about 25% sanctification before we'll really welcome them in close Christian fellowship. It's not the case. If Christ has welcomed them, when we have reason to think that they're repentant believers, we have to welcome them. Welcome them as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Ephesians 4 2 says, I'll, might as well read Ephesians 4 1 2, right? I mean, Why not? Ephesians 4. Brother Caleb preached on this faithfully a couple of weeks ago, months ago. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Notice, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now that is a good English translation, bearing with one another, right? doesn't have a very good connotation, does it, to it, does it? If I say I'm bearing with something, it usually means it's hard to do. We're to bear with one another in love. One, one uh, I'm having a hard time with words today. I'm glad that Joey's preaching. Uh, Colossians 2, epistles over, Colossians 3.13, says the same thing. Bearing with one another in love. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Notice all those others. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Okay? 
If one has a complaint against another, notice that. We're going to have complaints against one another, and the attitude of the heart is one of forgiveness. Lastly, in this category of living together, we're closely living together so that a holy kiss is not something that would be out of the question. It's not virtual services. It's not two services. I don't mean to get... Yeah, but I I believe that's true. Okay? We have to be able to put ourselves in the context where we can obey these commands. That's not possible in some ecclesiastical practices. 1 Peter 5.5, the last one in this category of harmony and peace, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we have a promise and a warning here, don't we? That if we are acting proud to our brothers and sisters, notice that that's the context where Peter quotes this, right? God opposes the proud. If you're proud to your brothers and sisters, not just towards God, God opposes that. But He gives grace to the humble. Okay? So, lastly today, we have these commands, and then the last two that we're going to deal with are not just we are to live in harmony with one another and closeness together, but then we have, we are commanded one another to give service to the inward and the outward man, as the 1689 puts it. Okay? So we are to spiritually edify one another. And I've got three, four, I got four texts here in two books. I think sum this up very nicely. 1 Thessalonians and Hebrews. So 1 Thessalonians first. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18. Now I'm going to read this paragraph. I know we've read a lot of Scripture today. I know that that doesn't bother anybody here, but I know that it can be hard to keep up while we're doing that. I just want us to see the context of this. For we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that is, who have died in Christ, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, fight about these words. That's not what he says. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. If our eschatology about Jesus Christ's coming doesn't primarily encourage us and lead us to encourage one another, then there's something, there's something wrong going on here. Okay, We're to encourage one another with these words. Jesus Christ will come back. Those who have dead and gone, they're not going to be left there. They're going to be raised up as well. And we're going to be with the Lord forever. Encourage one another. And much the same we see in chapter 5. Chapter 5, in verse 11, and he's still writing about God coming, Jesus coming the second time. And uh, we see in verse 11, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Hebrews, i got to go a little quicker. I apologize. Hebrews 3. This is the 
premier text for me, and I had to put it in there, even though I confess the word all alone, all alone, is not in this text, but it is very implicit in the text. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Our English translation has one another here, and I think appropriately, but we have a different Greek word being used. And notice what's being told here. That we ought to be living in harmony and closeness with one another to such a degree that we ought to take care, not just of ourselves, notice that. Take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. We ought to be watching over one another and pastoral care for one another to make sure that there's not this root of unbelief that's going into our hearts that we'd fall away from the living God. Okay, And then in chapter 10, verse 24. One another. Okay, We we know this passage very well. I'm going to read verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, So we are to encourage one another. And we are even to, to live and have this so much in the front of our mind that we are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And doesn't that imply some forethought before we're meeting with one another, right? That we think about our brothers and sisters and say, how can I better stir up my brother or sister to love and good works? How is that possible? How can I do that? We are called in some one another commands to spiritually edify one another, to encourage one another for the day of Christ's coming, to warn one another against sin, And this warning of one another is, I think, the most clearly stated in Romans 15, 14. It says, I myself, Paul himself, is satisfied about the Romans. I am satisfied about you, he says, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. They're the same sinners that we are, by the way, and Paul says that they're full of goodness. Full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. We're able to instruct one another. That Greek word, as some of you know and has been beaten into your heads, is nutheteo. Okay, means admonishment. We're able to admonish one another. We're able to correct one another. This is spiritual edification that we are to give to one another. First, by encouragement. Second, by admonishment. Third, I'm, I'm going quickly here, to deal with sin in a redemptive way. Okay? To deal with sin in a redemptive way. So, I'm just going to read these texts. First, in our brothers and sisters, we must, when we encounter sin, we must deal with it redemptively. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. There's that language again. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Right? We fulfill the law of Christ when we sin against one another. And we, we restore one another. Okay? And then we need to deal with sin in a redemptive way when we 
come in contact with our own sinfulness. In James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed for the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Okay. Then lastly, care for not just the inner man, but care for the outward man is commanded in Scripture. That is, we are to take care of one another's needs. And I have five more texts okay, to go through. Romans 12.13 says, Commands, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And that word, needs, is going to show up over and over. We're, we're not to, to give to every whim of every member. Okay, That's not the idea here. It's not that, that we would have complete equality in income or anything like that. It is to contribute to the needs of the saints. Um, and... Notice, it's, it ends by saying, seek to show hospitality. The word seek there is the same word, dioko, which is translated as persecute in other sections of Scripture, right? It's a chase after something, okay? We are to think of hospitality in the same way. We're to pursue, we're to seek after and persecute ways that we can be hospitable to one another, Okay? 1 Peter 4.9 emphasizes this as well. Show hospitality to one another without what? Grumbling. Man, that's a convicting, convicting passage. For a sinner like me, it's very convicting. Um, That not only are we to show hospitality, we're not to do it in a begrudging way, we are to do it without grumbling. The absence of grumbling. And so, next, we show hospitality, but we also give to the saints. We already saw that we contribute to the needs of the saints. Notice how 1 John, the apostle of love, uses the same word need as a command, though. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And then lastly today, contributing and caring for the outward man and the one another of Scripture, Titus 3.14. Titus 3.14 says... As Paul concludes this great epistle, Titus 3.14, he says, uh, I'll read verse 12 to 14 since it's our last text. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let your people learn to devote themselves to good works so as... So he defines good works narrowly here. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Okay? So, as we've gone through a lot of text today about what it means to do the one another commands of Scripture, we've looked at almost every command. I've deleted a couple that were repetitious, but we see that the one another commands of Scripture, they encourage us negatively to kill sin in our hearts, the, the evil, the passion, the jealousy in our hearts that exalts ourselves over our brothers, judges our brothers. And then we are to give ourselves one another to being close together, 
living in harmony and peace, dealing with sin in a redemptive way, and then seeking to edify one another in the inward man, and seeking to care for one another's needs in the outward man. Do we have any questions or thoughts? Brother. Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. And man, each of these, and I struggled whether to break this into a 15 part <laughs> series or whether to just try to plow through this, and we're happy to do another one, but uh, yeah, there's a, there's a great brevity to it, or not brevity, a great um, expansion. To these one another commands. That sounds like my daughter. Yes. That is my daughter. Um, so I'm going to pray for us. And we'll continue. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for all the one another commands of Scripture. And how broad the commands in Scripture are. I pray that we would take serious 